weekend is coming and it's time for a bath We're going to some bodies and we'll have a good laugh Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew, or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is PR Jones Jewelers. PR Jones Jewellers are very proud to be the main club sponsor. They have four shops across Cheshire East, two in Macclesfield, one in Nutsford and one in Nantwich. With over 50 years of experience, they are able to cater for all your needs, ranging from prestige jewellery, branded and unbranded watches, watch, clock and jewellery repairs, and they have one of the finest selections of engagement and wedding rings across South Manchester. They are currently open for business online at www.prjonesjewellers.co.uk. Michael, David and Grieber Jones would like to wish everyone the best in these difficult times. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. I couldn't think of a more appropriate way to start Season 3 of Get It Whacked than with yet another member of the seemingly never-ending Moore's Cricketing Family Dynasty. And spoiler alert, he won't be the last for this season. A true clubman, he has represented the club at all levels of senior cricket, together with various stints of captaincy along the way. Known for his gritty batting, smart glove work and red-hot speam, he is the self-styled de facto third-team captain and, in his own words, not one of the all-time great drinkers. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Moores. Mitch, how are you? How you doing, man? Are you right? I am very, very well indeed. Straight off the bat, no pun intended. It feels really weird calling you Michael, mate. Um, have you always been a Mitch? Where Where did this come from? Uh, Mitch came from uh, one of our Aussies, actually, um, Nathan Allen, aka Nick Aldrin, who um, brought over the idea of uh, of us all having drinking names. Um, I think the idea was that we'd uh, we'd have some sort of anonymity when we did uh, when we did anything silly on a night out. Sadly, I think it's a bit of an indictment of me in my case that that my drinking name actually overtook my real name. But yeah, I've, I've been Mitch since around, what was it 2008 when, uh, when Nate was there? I mean, the only time I ever think of you as Michael in my head, it, it comes with an incredibly strong Northern Irish accent. Because um, of course, your wonderful mother, who we will come on to later, refers to you as Michael, always does. I've never heard her call you, well, that's a lie. I've heard her call you a few other things, but she's never called you Mitch to my ears. So Michael is, yeah, that's it's it feels really weird saying that, mate. Yeah, and, and David Bostock, of course, his, his also comes with a, with a with an enhanced Jim McDonald style Belfast accent when he calls me Michael. Michael. I mean, the less said about uh, that uh, dubious gentleman, of course, I'm referring to David Bostock, the better. Well, as always, as always, I'm sure he'll crop his little head up at some point during this series, won't he? Yeah, he's always looking to to find a way to get himself on the podcast. He just can't keep away from the limelights. I mean, he's not going to uh, not trip anywhere near the appearances of other people, obviously. But uh, no, we we <laughs> like we like having him on occasionally in small doses uh, but let's not talk about uh, that that weird ike from Biddulph. obviously great to have you on the podcast great to welcome another member of the uh, the moore's family dynasty on and of course it's not your first appearance on the podcast you've been on uh, a few times you were back on in the, in the first season we did a bit of a third team review way back in the early days of, of get it whacked when I, I really didn't know what i was doing uh, i mean i vaguely do now but um, not so much uh, not so much a great improvement and then you've been on uh, for the Mac report a couple of times, but uh, it seemed appropriate to, to have a, a Moors on for the start of the third season. So delighted to have you here, mate. Absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I think uh, we all had a bit of enjoyment, certainly out of the uh, out of the first few episodes. I don't I don't know if they were as rough and ready as we thought they were going to be, but yeah. It was, uh, it was good fun. The, the heady days a lot now. One quite it does seem a, a long way away, and a lot's changed since then. Hopefully for the better. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to be in the third season of Get It Whacked. Um, but as I say, great to start off with uh, you know a member of the Moore's family dynasty. Now we're uh, talking of family. Hopefully, I can refer to you as uh, fellow team dad. A few of us have, have have had kids in the last year. I think you were uh, of of the recent crop. If I can uh, describe as that, you're probably the, the the sort of the earliest house fatherhood treating you first of all. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, we we, we don't know we're born is what we keep saying because he's a 
he's a very chilled out little thing uh is leo um so yeah he's making life very easy for us we're just uh we're just always concerned that one day he's going to switch and turn into a little monster um, as i'm sure you're concerned about with your with your little bundle too yeah i i have to say mate that the same the same uh sort of sentiments crop up in our house but yeah i mean we uh we catch up now and again to to, to leo and josh and uh he's always in fine fettle and hopefully josh can uh, learn from leo's leo's lead so yeah he's getting louder and louder more like his mother <laughs> talking of the lovely lucy how is she she's very well yeah she's right back into the thick of her thick of her school days again uh she's a she's a teacher just <laughs> in case anyone's concerned by that comment yeah so she's uh she's right back into the thick of uh of working uh and combining that with with myself and raising the lucky man i mean i did consider the notion of perhaps uh having having you both on uh you know a bit of a uh, a joint podcast but I, I think it's fair to say um n- neither of us frankly would have got a word in edrays is that is that a reasonable thing to say between you, you and lucy that's that's not a three-person podcast is it that's uh that's me sitting quietly in the corner and making some brews i mean nobody can top dave cowan let's be honest i said dave how are you and 45 minutes later he finished so yeah i mean that's 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 the, the case with dc in real life as well isn't it you don't uh you don't need much problem <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't indeed um now look Obviously, we're here to talk about you, not not everyone else under the sun. Well, maybe a bit later, but um, always like to start off this way, mate. What, what's your earliest cricketing memories? Uh, obviously, being a being a Moors, that's a bit of a, a bit of a tricky one because there's no sort of there's no bit before cricket for me, sort of thing. It's uh, it's kind of part of the part of the furniture. Just just growing up, my my first memory of really enjoying it because I've kind of had a bit of a think about this because uh, obviously I'm a big fan of the podcast and it always comes up. And I, I think I would have been sort of preschool age, maybe four or five. And I was on the tennis courts just with Tone. And he was basically underarming a tennis ball to me. And I was doing as close as I, as I can come to whacking the ball just against the wall. And I think that's, that's my first memory of really enjoying it. Because obviously as a, as a, as a Moors and a Moors, the youngest of the family with two older brothers having Curly and Moors are running the show. You know, you don't really get to be good at cricket. You know, I'd probably be fielding or keeping a push while those two bowling by each other so um so yeah that, that's, my, that's my first sort of my first memory of really really getting into it and thinking that's that's a that's a thing that i wanted to do and then did you go on to play any sort of formal junior cricket club cricket that sort of stuff as a junior primary school high school and uh variously mac and parkside juniors actually I had a bit of a sort of a bit of a period where where i moved across the across the the tins to uh to parkside for a couple of seasons just to play junior cricket which is a quite a sort of strange one i'm not too sure why but i do have a sort of strange memory of of winning a derby game with mac at, at victoria road on the main ground and uh yeah giving it the big one on the steps and celebrating in front of the mac crowds so yeah it's a bit of a, a bit of a shameful memory from my past but yeah the, all, all through all the way through the juniors really at mac i suppose in a way you'd like to say that things sort of come full circle and now you're uh you know generally speaking entrenched over on parkside uh for macclesfield of course um you know when you play senior cricket so these things do come full circle i like to think and of course you're not the only person who um has played you know junior cricket for parkside and then senior cricket for macclesfield and moved across i think you know people like jim melrose um played at parkside as well as you know people of an older generation who played all their cricket there dc we talk about him obviously a, a, a big presence for parkside so i think there were quite a few um people of you know your, your sort of age generation that, that may have played a bit of both yeah definitely i always tend to take a big influence from jim melrose he's a he's a, a big hero of mine he is the big man after all and then kind of moving on from the the junior cricket um at what stage did you sort of transition into playing any um senior cricket for macclesfield and, and of course i'm sure maxonians may have uh, cropped up along the way there as well yeah so th- that's that's where i would have played senior cricket originally so obviously tone didn't, didn't come back and play sort of cricket at mac till till a bit later on than, than i would have been starting playing so i was would have been playing for maxonians when they were in the in the league set up just as they came to sort of the decline of their sort of league era and we're getting more desperate and desperate for players, I probably snuck on as a 12 and 13 year old. Um, I think uh, Tone has some quite good memories of me, uh, of me maybe bowling out some, uh, that was uh, that was bowling out some, uh, some older players uh, playing for Maxonians. So yeah, it was always Maxonians. And then when I got around sort of university age, I, I packed in cricket altogether, really. It wasn't 
never a real sort of conscious decision, but I just kind of drifted away from it, went to uni and didn't play there. So yeah, then it, then it, then it all stopped for a bit. And I think it was about 2009, 2010 when I went back and played it at Potts Wrigley with uh, the infamous Carl Burgess. Yeah, I was I was going to go on to say, um, a bit like myself, you, you kind of had a, a, a cricketing sabbatical, I think is the term that uh, Pete Langley used to describe my... Uh, well, my <laughs> my non-playing for several years. Um, I mean, I don't know what you're what you're like in the in the way you view it, but certainly it's something I look back upon now. As as obviously, you know, you and I know how much uh, I and indeed you uh, love your cricket. I think we can both say we're badges. And and I have to admit that part of me thinks, God, I I wish I hadn't stopped playing for for the amount of time that I did. And you know, half of me thinks, well, if I'd not done that, maybe I'd be half decent and uh, all the rest of it but I suppose the, uh, the 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 glass half full way of looking at it is you know everything happens for a reason all that sort of stuff doing other things in my life and obviously f- came back to cricket latterly like yourself is there any kind of regret latterly now for you that in doing that or are you quite happy with you know the journey no I've got kind of go back and forth on it a little bit but I, I, I don't think so no I mean I, I think I played until a sort of age where I figured out that I wasn't really going to be very good I was just going to play for a laugh. And then by the time you come back and you and you really enjoy it, see, I don't know if I'd still enjoy it in the same way if I'd have played throughout and started taking it seriously and, and you know, had had that sort of whole period with it. You know, I always feel like I'm catching up with with cricket, which is probably one of the one of the things I really like about it. And it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a common theme in, the, in our third team at the minute now, isn't it? There's a, there's a few players, people like Froggy and Ian, Banjo to an extent, I think, who who stopped playing for a bit and have a bit of a sort of on-off relationship with it and have and have come back into it really sort of passionately. So no, I, I think I'm, I'm I'm pretty much at the bit where I don't regret it now. Yeah, I, I have to admit, there's the sort of same things go through my head, and I think, well, perhaps if I played, you know, all the time, I, I'd be one of these people that got to 23, 24 and, and burnt out and thought I'm I'm going to go and do something else and not come back. So you know, I choose to uh, take the view that you know, um, having a gap and then coming back to it um, a bit later on and, and, and being as enthusiastic as uh, uh, you know both of us are um, at the age we are for cricket is, is, is a good thing I suppose and, and like you say there are quite a few lads who are similar I suppose to us in that regard as, as you mentioned there. Yeah, yeah definitely and it's a, a different part of our life now with uh, having to juggle it with with having kids and and sort of family life and all that sort of stuff but I think that, that makes it a bit more of an outlet and a bit more of an enjoyment doesn't it? Well, obviously, talking about the little sabbatical there, university, all that sort of stuff. You mentioned, obviously, you came back to cricket, ended up at uh, Pot Shrigley with the with the infamous, the big man, Carl David Burgess. What do you remember about those sort of days, uh, getting back into cricket, and and obviously, I'm sure being coached in every facet of your game by the big man. I mean, I've got sort of really good memories of uh, of, of playing at Pot. Really sort of fond memories, worlds away from the from the sort of club that Mac is. You know, comparatively, uh, Max very sort of obviously big, lots of members, lots of sort of formalised sort of nets and practices. You know, comparatively <laughs> with with what Shrigley was, um, which was just a just sort of blind chaos. Sometimes, you know, Burge was. I don't think Burge was captain when I started playing, but essentially was. He was sort of recruiter in chief, and he he did a lot of things that I took uh, inspiration from later as thirteen captain, which was. A lot of recruitment around sort of Weatherspoons, Ronnie's area, midnight onwards on a Friday night. It was a, a very, a very sort of fruitful time to to talk. So I went into into turning out for a game. Not quite possibly how he how he got me to play for them in the first place, but yeah, just a, a really good fun sort of club to play at. And yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of classic sort of village cricket characters. None more so than Carl David Burgess, I'm sure. So, uh, at what stage did you then decide to to make the the leap? Um, I suppose I can say back to Macclesfield, back home. Obviously, where you know at that stage, you, both your brothers were playing. I assume Tony was playing at Macclesfield at that stage. Yeah, yeah. So they they would have all been playing. Um, well, a bit of largely twos and mores. I think was just starting to a. Uh, to become more regular in the ones, I think. But yeah, I, I I would have come back and played threes if I could have if I could have got a spot at the time. But I think we were in a bit of a better better place with players than we would be in the in the intervening years. We probably a bit the threes was a bit more like it is now actually in terms of in terms of availability and and players at that time. So me having not played cricket for you know six or seven years and not been that good in the first place, uh, I wasn't uh, wasn't top of a uh, Top of Susie's list. I think it was Susie who was captain at the time. Um, so yeah, um, Burge seized upon that opportunity. 
started filling my inbox with lots of texts about me coming down to to training. I think if you could call it training, which was just sort of Thursday night. It was more of a, a visit to the pub preceded by half an hour of bowling into the nets uh, at Potts Wrigley. So I did that. Um, then turned up on a Saturday. I think Burge came to get me in whatever monstrosity of a car he was driving at the time. I think it might have been the Land Rover. He came to get me. And uh, yeah, and I think I was straight in, keeping straight away just because no one else fancied it. I don't think I'd have much experience at all of keeping at that point. I think previously I was actually a, a, like a, a speed bowler in my, in my, in my childhood. Um, so yeah, but I, I was willing and I was, uh, and I was there. So yeah, I think that's probably when I started keeping and then the rest is, uh, the rest is history. It's certainly, uh, written in the annals of history, especially anything that involves, uh, KDB, no doubt. Now, obviously you, you mentioned Carl sort of becoming captain there and, and, and sort of being involved at the club and all that sort of stuff. But, um, for some listeners or some current members of the club who might not have been around um, way back when, relatively speaking, of course, you did have a stint um, as 13 captain, as, as you allude to there. Um, I just wondered if you want to sort of tell us a little bit more about your time as as captain, how you became captain. And and indeed, you know, you mentioned about doing your, your best recruiting at sort of 11 o'clock in in Weatherspoons on a Friday night, um, and perhaps what some of the challenges were as captain at, at, at that time. Yeah, I think I, I got into captaincy in the same way that anyone does it. It's someone sort of texting you, you know, late on a Friday night and just saying, could you just do it for this game or maybe two games? And it would just be temporary, you know, someone else will come and take over. But yeah, I think it was um, Nighty, Mark Knight at the time, who was captain, um, I think started playing more regularly in the twos. Um, so I asked if I fancied doing it for, the, so for, for a few games. And I said yes. I was I was happy to do it, thinking it was just yeah, turn up, tell tell bowlers where they're bowling, set the bat in order, happy days. So yeah, a bit more a bit more to it than that, especially at the time when we were like you say, really sort of hard up for players. I think um, li- literally in a, in a stage of trying to get enough bodies out on a pitch, not necessarily cricketers and not necessarily eleven. I think we knew we always worked it. I think you put seven players out, you could you could fulfil a game, you know, and we. Uh, we, we went through a, a fairly consistent run. I think we were in a league where one team went down and I think for two or three seasons, one team in the league, it, it was nailed on that we were going down pretty much every year and then one team would uh, would commit some sort of player registration error, like have about 70 points deducted. And we just kept sort of bobbing up in this, uh, in this sort of top third team league as was it was a strange one yeah in terms of players it was you know all ages certainly all abilities and yeah certain amount of recruitment at Weatherspoons at Daft o'clock on a Friday night and and would you say you know as much as there were challenges there did you enjoy your time as captain um was it was it the one season you do or, or two seasons so I think I did uh 2012 I think I started halfway through and followed to the rest of the season and then and then the entirety of 2013 I think it was probably 2014 where Burge came along and, and decided to take the reins maybe as a season another season in that I don't know maybe the, the traumas blocked it out but yeah <laughs> I, I, I mean I enjoyed I enjoyed the cricket club I enjoyed the sort of I enjoyed playing cricket at that time certainly it was always good fun um, but probably not the captaincy element obviously on-field captaincy is good fun um, but you know the the constant sort of scrubbing around for players and as always with the threes, it's it's not always scrabbling around for players, and scrabbling around for players in some in some cases that is the easy bit of it, you know, because you get you get one week where you're having to tell five or six people they're not getting a game of cricket at all. Obviously, it's a bit easier now that we've got a, a fourth team, and that's uh, that's providing you know eleven more slots for people to play a game of cricket on a Saturday. But yeah, when you're having to tell you know, especially the young lads who had helped out and been there sort of all the way through the season when we were really struggling to, you know, to, to tell them that they're not getting a game this week because we're, because Kings are broken up or something and we've got a, bit, a few more options. Then, yeah, that's that's a bit of a, a bit of a tough one. But no, I certainly enjoyed my cricket at that time, but I don't, I don't really look back sort of too enviously uh, on, on captains and I don't envy you, basically. Well, I suppose I've seen you know both ends of the of the stick as it were because sort of when I took over we were we were in a, a, at times a little bit of a position that you were in perhaps where you, you're scrambling around for players and maybe we'd lost a few players in the twos and you know we were having to take the field and beg a few people Jonathan Smith 
um, strikes uh, strikes up uh, several memories of conversations of me talking him into coming and playing and you know various other people cut to you know approximately a season and a half later and the threes have suddenly uh, got got a few more players the twos got a few more players we're, we're starting to do pretty well and then you're you're leaving people out cut to 2019 where in many ways that was the most challenging season for me because you know, I consistently had 14, 15 players available every week. And I'm sure that you would have loved to have been in that position. Um, but, it, it, you know, both ends present them their challenges, don't they? Certainly, yeah. And I, I probably wouldn't have had the foresight like you did to uh, to be farming these players out to to other clubs who needed uh, who needed players, which was, uh, which was sort of a, a really useful thing because you get to see how some of these players do perform on the out to the places if they're, if they're struggling to get a game here. You know, I can... Think of people like Alistair Knight, who who went out and played and made runs at for Congleton twos, you know, in a better standard than he than we were playing, and he wasn't getting a game for us. So you know, it really sort of put things into perspective, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, it definitely did, and and I think you know you probably hit the nail on the head there with a good example of someone who we're we're probably in the last couple of years have, have, have reaped the benefits of not just hanging on to him as as a member of the club, but also some of that cricket that he was able to go and play elsewhere. But, you know, as you say, now we have that fourth team on a Saturday, we, we're just providing more cricket for more people and, you know, long may that continue. Absolutely, yeah. Now, moving on from your, your time as uh, captain, I wanted to talk a, a little bit more about some of the, some of the members of the family and, and what it's like to play with uh, members of your family more to the point but before we do that it would be absolutely remiss of me not to ask how one of my favorite people and uh and and lang is his absolute hero sir anthony moores is um and indeed can you give us an update on his knee so yeah you, you you're right to refer to knee as a singular there because he's just got one of them i think uh, i think recent mri scans have confirmed that there is you know only signs of life in one knee it's i, I think i think it's He's 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 learning to live with <laughs> with the <laughs> with the idea that it's not quite right. I think he's uh, he's taking some mind bending drugs to uh, to cope with the pain, um, and potentially looking at working on a on a shorter run up. I think for the uh, for the for the next season. But no, he's he's certainly not. Sort of, I don't think his his thoughts are turning to to retirement quite yet. Not at this uh, not at this tender age. So when does he uh, is he does he turn fifty eight this year? I got that right. He's he's been turning fifty eight for a few years now. Yeah, um, <laughs> and um, you know we mentioned Sir Anthony there. I'd like to also ask about uh, someone that's also already been mentioned here. Of course, your mother. I'm going to refer to as Dame actually from here on in. Yeah. Dame Roisin. How is Dame Roisin? She's very well. Yeah, just uh, settling nicely into a sort of a semi-retired life. She's still she's still finding lots of things to keep her busy. Um, not not a, not limited to. Uh, Spending all Tuesday with Leo, chasing after him. Um, but yeah, she's uh, she's she's on great form. And most importantly, I must ask if they have recovered um, from, well, frankly, the 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 unprovoked and, and reprehensible actions and words of one Remus Perfect, Rob Porter. Have they have they recovered after his his vicious assault? I think they've forgiven, but I don't think they're going to forget. <laughs> Very, very good. Well, as I say, you know, leading on from that, um, playing with members of your family, you mentioned you've you've got two older brothers there, and indeed um, a father in in the most immediate family that you you know you. you oh well, I, I hope you're going to say lucky enough to have played quite a bit of cricket with. Of course, a little bit further afield, you know, Steve Moore's graces us with his presence. First question is, you know, playing with your brothers. I guess you've probably played with Curly than than the Moorser. But um, what is that dynamic like? It's it's, it's completely normal. Is is the the dynamic of the family is more weird when when we're not playing cricket and I'm and I'm calling my dad Tony all the time. People are people are a bit uh, <laughs> a bit a bit confused by that. But now, I mean, I think me and Curly are quite sort of relatively similar characters on the field. Maybe Curly's a bit more of a an animated version of it. Obviously, Moore's is very sort of a very sort of active and hyper, but maybe a bit less vocal. But no, it's um. It, 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 I don't. I don't see much of a distinction between them and anyone else when I'm when we're playing. I don't much of a sort of protective streak or anything like that, or any sort of any sort of loyalty to them. Perhaps it's a bit different with them. Me being me being the youngest, maybe they're they're a bit a bit different. But I, th- I think broadly speaking, we just we just tend to get on like like teammates. Very very good. And um, again, the sort of same question with obviously playing with dad or tone, as you would say. I don't think I've ever heard you refer to him as dad. Um, but yeah, what what's that like? 
obviously great fun. I think I think one of the things that that, that Tony's most proud about actually is that I think he's captained all of us and been captained by all of us at various points on various teams. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great fun. I mean, not least because Tone's great fun. Fun's probably not the word to 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 keep to, uh, but he's uh, he's challenging to keep to, and you know, as can uh, can give a lot of chances for wickets. But yeah, I mean, it just is it's always great fun to to play with Tone, and obviously Langer's his hero worship isn't uh, isn't entirely unfounded. He's a pretty uh, it's a pretty useful cricketer still. He certainly is, and I'm uh, I'm enthusiastic to see what this uh, this shortened run up produces. Um, next season, no doubt. Also, maybe some turn. You never know. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, obviously, you mentioned the challenges of keeping to to Tony there, and I mentioned a, a little bit more of the the extended family there on a, on a few occasions last season. You, you had the uh, an enviable distinction of not only keeping to Tone but also having to to deal with um, the <laughs> the many deliveries and guile of uh, Steve Moore's Esmo Uncle Steve. What is that like? Great fun, always fun playing with Steve. He's um, how do you put it? He's a fan of the dark arts, <laughs> likes uh, likes a bit of gamesmanship. Um, he's always yeah, always 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 looking to to, to steal an extra percent in uh, in any sort of situation. So that's always good fun. And obviously, he's got quite a good idea of uh, keeping it within within the bounds of acceptability with them uh, with them being a with him being a teacher and coach. Yeah, but but such good fun to play with him. He's a bit less unpleasant to to keep to as well. He's a bit more obliging in his. Uh, in the sort of flight of his ball, tones a bit more spitty. Steve's quite sort of, uh, quite sort of trackable. Well, the next time uh, you give away four buys to, to one of Steve's deliveries, I'll remind you of the fact that you you refer to him as trackable. <laughs> I'll just claim it did it on purpose. <laughs> Correct. Left it for me. It slipped. Um, now moving on, Mitch. Uh, it'd be great to talk about um, some stats and uh, a couple of games. Would it? Well, I mean, are you are you much of a stats man? Are you bothered by numbers? Perhaps you are, but maybe not your own. I was bothered by numbers. I wouldn't be playing anymore, Miles. <laughs> very, very good. Well, let's let's run over a few. Uh, we'll start with the batting stats, mate. In in total, you've played 214 games for Macclesfield, 185 innings, 28 not outs, scoring 2,248 runs with a higher score of 70 and 750s. Um, and because we always run over this stat, I have got to mention... Um, a, a quite juicy twenty-three ducks there. Oh yeah. Although I'm, I will say, in the last uh, three years, you've you've obliged us with only three ducks. Um, so yeah, you know, perhaps you're you're getting less quacky in your old age. Who knows? I've got a bit better at edging through the slips, I think. So that that gives me that gives me a little four to start with, and then yeah, then I'll then I'll walk past the straight one. <laughs> Very good. I mean, things that jump out at me there, obviously. 750s you're not you know you're someone that's batted probably in most positions i think under my captaincy alone you've probably batted from one to seven semi-regularly and you know i would imagine you're you're up there with with sort of third team run scorers in terms of volume but you know 750s you've you've obviously uh got more ability with the bat than perhaps sometimes you give yourself credit for and and i think one of the things that i would say that stats don't uh, necessarily tell the tale of um, is your sort of grittiness and uh, determination and, and I think the number of times that certainly in recent years the threes have perhaps been in a bit of a wobbly spot um, cometh the hour cometh cometh the gritty Moore's innings um, it's kind of something I would say you're um, not exclusively but but certainly renowned for um, is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I do often seem to to score runs for whatever reason in a in a, in a low scoring game. It always tends to be possibly just because I tend to be batting a bit lower down the order then. And you know, if uh, if everyone else is having a bit of a struggle and I come down and I'm a bit a bit less expansive and a bit more winkly, maybe I, maybe I bore the bowlers into into bowling bad balls at me. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'm a, I think I'm pretty consistently average up and down the order. I think uh, I think the stats bear that out. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely true. I was hoping to be able to, to skip over your bowling stats, obviously keeper, um, and, and I hate talking about people that don't bowl bowling, but unfortunately, um, you do have some bowling stats, and rather alarmingly, um, you, you have a lot more bowling stats than I thought you would. So in total, you've bowled 13.1 overs, uh, conceding 92 runs, and unbelievably taken three wickets with a best of one for one. 
And for the record, your your strike rate is twenty six point three, and your average is thirty. Uh, what what can you possibly tell me about thirteen point one overs that I can't imagine you're going to say? Well, I, I can tell you that it's, that's significantly less than what it actually is. Um, particularly in wickets, one of the uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier, we always seem to be in a league where where teams got points chalked off. One of the uh, one of the instances that happened was uh, when Irby did that, um, and all their points. And all the stats for both sides, which I thought was a bit harsh, were wiped off for an entire game. And believe it or not, I took a four for against Derby. Derby <laughs> I'm, away. Not, I'm not having it. I, t- I took four for <laughs> in my little Dibley office. And Dave Long was keeping, and there were proper wickets as well. There was an LB in there. I think there was a ball. There was a court. There was a court behind. Dave Long. I don't know how many people remember uh, the Dave Long era of the club. He was a, a real character that I think I'd actually found uh, in Weatherspoons at. On a Friday night, on a one evening, yeah, he was he was keeping, and yeah, I I, I was I was obviously skipper, giving it a bit of Carl Burgess and uh, and giving myself the juiciest middle overs to bowl in, um, but no, I, I did. It, it happened. There are there are, I'm I'm sure innocent bystanders that, that had to that had to watch that happen and could probably vouch for it. Hopefully, I can I can get to them before they rear their ugly heads and pay them off. But what I would say, uh, noticing, uh, you know, the stats here, 2013, you bowled seven overs when when you were captain, no, no less. 2016, 4.1 overs, uh, assuming Carl Burgess was captain then. And I'm going to quickly look at this because you bowled two overs in 2017. I have a feeling I might. Oh, no, you were captain, which means I wasn't playing. So you've, you've clearly taken captain's prerogative and bowled yourself. So the only reason you've bowled is is on account of either Carl Burgess or your, your yourself. Is that what we're saying? I think I think maybe just myself actually. Did did Burge, did Burge bowl me? Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe that maybe that was one of the games Burge was missing too. I'm I'm kind of scared to check. But yeah, I, if if Burge did allow me to bowl, it was after a, a a long and concerted campaign, elbowing, nudging, threatening not to play, uh, for 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 Burge to give me one of his hard earned overs. That would have been a that, yeah, he must have been. He must have been very hungover. Right, I've I've had enough of this, so I'm going to say moving swiftly onwards, Mitch. Okay. For first for the first time this season. First time this series, yeah. And uh, let's talk about some fielding stats now. I know as much as you know, lots of us like to talk about stats being missing. I do know for free that, of course, you will have not been accredited a great deal of uh, dismissals and things like that. Going back and play cricket over the years, you know, stuff doesn't get etched up as um, given to the right people but in total we've got 96 catches here 22 stumpings and five runouts uh which i i also possibly question might have been given to you when they were curly or something like that but um who knows maybe you did affect a run out it's not beyond the, the realms of reality i'm sure i think maybe i was backing up for a, for someone throwing a direct hit um and i picked the ball up and ran into the stumps maybe <laughs> after a, when a batsman lay prone in the middle of the middle of the wicket that's the only thing i can think of because certainly uh the the moore's arm isn't uh isn't a thing of of beauty isn't particularly accurate certainly isn't very long um so yeah we're, we're not we're not you know prodigious run out getters well we we shall come back to that no doubt um in in a bit later on the podcast without spoiling it for you um now we're going to move on to um a game and now i i asked you as i always do the guests coming on the podcast say look it'd be good to talk about a game anything you know particularly spring to mind and um, that you want to discuss ideally you know a game where you've done well and we can talk about you know your accomplishments or the team's accomplishments whatever if, if it's a game you, you were captain and you won a close game or you scored some runs quick as a flash you said i know exactly the game um and the game you've picked is uh, from relatively recent memory um, nothing in particular jumps out to me about it, but um, 14th of September 2019, uh, Macclesfield third team uh, away at Middlewich second team. I'm, I'm just going to let you take it over from here, Mitch. Uh, any any reason you picked this game? I think you scored a few runs, didn't you? I think I did, but I think you've got to look at why I scored those runs. Um, and I think, would you say I was emancipated from the, uh, from the, from the clutches of an overbearing captain? Because um, I, th- I think I think you were absent for some for some sort of barely legitimate reason that day, um, and I think I think I think Icky was captain actually. I think Mr. Kenny certainly, according to play cricket anyway, uh, Ian Kenny was was skipping that day. 
could you just remind us why you were missing that day, Mars? Uh, I mean, the only thing I need to tell you there that I'm, I'm pretty sure Chris Flint was captain, actually. Um, you know, as as the the somewhat sort of appointed uh, vice captain. Of course, you are the de facto third team captain, as you like to refer to yourself. But yeah, I'd just like to correct your statement there. I think Chris Flint was captain that day, not Ian Kenny. Of course. And as for the rest of the matter, yes, uh, I was unavailable due to. Uh, uh, well, my wedding. As as Tom Radley described it uh, on the day, uh, the first day of the end of your life. <laughs> well, no doubt he will be listening. And all I'm going to say to him is, if you look at this scorecard, you will notice that we gained zero points from this game. And I'm going to blame that exclusively upon Thomas Radley. Are we, are we not blaming the person who picked Thomas Radley? Absolutely not. No, no. I, I wasn't there. It was nothing to do with me. Uh, nor was it anything to do with my inability to read a rule book. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards, now that we've established why you wanted to dig me out on the podcast uh, about getting married in the cricket season, um, other than that, what can you tell us about this game? Because it was actually a pretty good game, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it was it was the last final game of the season. Um, and we were still in with, you know, albeit a faint hope of, of winning the league. Um, and uh, yeah, it, and it went right down to the wire. So it's, so it's quite a nice one to talk about anyway. Um, I think we went into it maybe 10, 15 points behind Warrington. But re- broadly speaking, it was we, we knew that if we won and they didn't, I think uh, it was fair to say that we'd win the league. Um, so obviously we, we didn't find out anything about uh, about how Warrington got on uh, until after the game had finished. But yeah, we, we batted first. Um, and as I've mentioned uh, before, um, not many people got off to much of a start. I think Flinty batted for a bit. Um, and I think we lost, you know, uh, four relatively quick wickets and I came in at six. Batted with Flinty for a while. Um, and from what I remember is there was, um, there was, they had a bowler playing who I think had been out for a while with an injury um, and was coming back. I think he was more of a sort of middle which first team standard player. And he was dropping down to the twos just to just to find a bit of fitness. And he was really impressive. He took a, took a few wickets and and made, you know, uh, a lot of people, myself included, uh, when I first came in, looked pretty stupid. But I think as I sort of settled in a little bit and uh, and, and blocked out and missed quite a few, um, I think he started to blow a bit. I think from what I remember, he was a slightly portly chap. And uh, yeah, he just started to, to drop a few short. And and myself and a combination of Alfie and, and Radis himself with some of his, uh, from his trademark hitting at the end, managed to get us up to a sort of serviceable enough score, 185, which is a... Uh, Tends to be pretty good going um, in the in the threes, yeah. And 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 what we came back to after the uh, after the turnaround and after some uh, some wonderful tees because we were still in the days when we could have the proper the proper full tees. Uh, I think Middlewich just relatively speaking just didn't show any interest in chasing, which was a bit of disappointing, especially when you when it's the last game of the season. I don't think there's anything in it for them really, um, other than to. To, to stop us from winning so as these things tend to do it sort of descended into a into a bit of a a bit of a niggly affair and I think in the end we got the we got, got the last wicket um, to bowl them out for 100 odd we got the last wicket on the second to last ball of the game or the last ball of the game um, I think Banjo got an LB which to, to be fair to them they, uh, they did give um, and yeah so it was just a great win obviously at, at the point in time we won it we didn't realise obviously that as it turned out, Warrington had won relatively comfortably, and we hadn't won the league, so so we were celebrating it as it as it was at the time, uh, potentially a a league win for us. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was great fun and a great way to a uh, great way to finish the season. Obviously, the league didn't work out as we wanted, but set us in good spirits when we were off to style afterwards to uh, to celebrate with a, a very drunk Tom Isherwood uh, along with a few other people. <laughs> Yes, there were uh, there were a few sore heads the next day, um, not notably my own, I have to add. But um, anyway, coming back to this game, you, you glossed over a couple of things that I'm I'm going to mention. Firstly, is that you you scored sixty one not out there. Um, you mentioned a couple of sort of contributions there, Chris Flint twenty five, um, and then a few uh, a few token innings down the bottom. Uh, Alfie Garnet there with twenty six and, and and thirty not out from Radders, which I believe came off about ten balls or something. Was that right? I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was pretty lusty stuff. But no, you, you know, typical 
Mitch innings, as as we talked about before, you know, not not too much before you, and uh, when when getting runs on the board counted as it as it did for a lot of reasons in that game, um, you know, you show up with what I'm sure was a, a gritty innings, slip drive for four, no doubt in the first couple of overs, whip a couple one one footed off your legs, and 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 away you go. Just yeah, just just constant attempts to cut, you know, with a with a one in twenty success rate, and a few just fighting over the cord, and and yeah, happy days. You're at 16 no time. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, just uh, briefly talking about our bowling innings. DC with a with a with a five for their 14 overs, five maidens, five for 21. Typical DC figures there for the third team. And um, it pains me to bring this up, and I I almost assume that you deliberately didn't talk about this. But um, you know, you mentioned it went right down to the wire. There, they were stitching it almost from ball one. Um, and it, and in fact, from what I'm what I'm led to believe they were rather enjoying telling Macclesfield about the fact that they were stitching it from ball one and continued to do so throughout the innings. I'm sure when you did get the last few wickets, two of which we'll come on to in a second, there was there was a bit of jubilation there. But, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I think you, you may have glossed over this deliberately, but um, a certain H. Matharu has figures here, unbelievably, three overs, one maiden, two for three. Um, the infamous hashtag two for um, now, just say the word and we'll delete this section from the podcast. But um, if, you, if you do want to talk about it, the floor's yours. Uh, yeah, like, like I say, the, the, the day wasn't without its downsides. Um, Froggy's, the, when the, the, the worst thing about that, the worst thing about Froggy's two wickets is that they were genuinely good balls. You, I thought actually may, maybe the first was a bit uh, was a bit short and a bit of an ugly shot, but there was a, a, a classic sort of test match dismissal of a, of just a low edge to, to Ian Kenny at first slip to the leg spinner. Um, and it was just, yeah, obviously at the time we, we, we didn't mind too much about the fact that we were going to hear about it for the for the next three or four seasons. Um, but yeah, Froggy Mathero, chronically on the bowls, I think is uh, how he would describe himself now. <laughs> very, very good. Um, now, before we move on to, to, to the last section of the podcast, which I'm, I'm quite excited to, to get your take on, Mitch, um, I just want to briefly sort of talk about, um, you know, some of the Aussies over the years. I think it's fair to say, um, being the age that, that you were and, and the time of your life um, that you, you spent at the club in, in certain years, um, you know, you, you, you enjoyed uh, visiting some of the watering holes of Macclesfield and, and indeed probably did that with a number of the Aussies as well as. I'm sure having lots of uh, good memories at training and, and on the pitch and all the rest of it with them. But um, I'm, I'm glad to say we're going to be joined by uh, James Crosswait, um, who I know has a, a special place in your heart. Um, but yeah, any, anything you want to say about some of the Aussies over the years and, and perhaps, um, you know, the links that we do have and, and the history with some of the Australians? A lot of the Aussies and, and like you say, my, my interest in visiting some of the watering holes of Macclesfield, which is quite a nice way of putting it. Um, that, that came before I actually rekindled my interest in cricket. So, you know, seasons when people like Tags were over or Evan Gulbis or Nick, uh, Nate, Nate Allen or Stewie Wilson um, throughout the seasons, they, they were my sort of foothold into the club. And, and, you know, going out with Curly, when I was going out with them, I was going out with Cal and Bimo and those sorts of people. Um and you know, sort of, really, I, I didn't feel like it was coming to a new club when I when I came to Mac because it was sort of fairly familiar people that I knew from Fridays and Saturday nights. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's always been the specialty of an Aussie, and that's the, the brilliant thing about having them at the club is that they provide a sort of a focal point to get around and and get out for a few beers, especially the younger lads, and and they sort of bring the younger lads through as well, and like a, like quite a few have probably done for me. I think the first Aussie that that was here when I uh, when I was a player was was Crossy in 2012, and and I had, I had a blast with Crossy. He was he was such such good fun, and he was absolutely militant about going out. He would you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe if you if you knew the way he sort of lived his life, played his cricket. He was sort of really casual and scattered, but you know Thursday night we used to go out. That was the sort of cheap night in Mac. We used to go out on the TMC, the Thursday night circuit, and I would get, I'd be getting texts from from him at eight o'clock in the morning. Right, okay, Mitch, listen. If you, if you beg me, if you're absolutely begging me, I will go out tonight for a few beers with you. We'll go to next, then we'll then we'll do spoons and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he he was just absolutely militant. He would he would send text after text saying, right, we're getting this done, 
this is when we're meeting. We're going here, here, here. And he was just, yeah, just such such good fun. And, you know, um, I think I'd, I won't go too much into some of, uh, some of the exploits when, uh, when he was here because I'm sure you'll want to get a few from him. Um, but obviously, I think Jim Morrow's has, has touched on the, the Swan Joe, the infamous Swan Joe. I'll, uh, I'll leave that for his episode. I think it's always good to to have the table laid, shall we say, if that's a, an appropriate way of describing it. I'm looking forward to having Crossy on in the uh, not-too-distant future, and it was quite nice to see him when he was uh, over quite recently, um, and I managed to, to, to collar him and talk him into it. So, yeah, we look forward to that. Fantastic, yeah, and that was a good night when he was back, and we... Uh... And we decided, as a joke, to go into the uh, into the Swan with two necks, the, uh, the, uh, the the famous the famous watering hole reference in the Swan Joe, thinking it was a bit of a joke. And then, you know, four or five hours later, we uh, we, we stumbled out of there. Uh, all I can say is my ears are still ringing. Make of that what you will. It's proper music, that Miles. <laughs> very very good. Right now, moving on to to our, our last section of the podcast here, Mitch. Um, way back in season one. Um, I sort of came up with uh, with this idea of doing the quick fire questions, uh, mostly because I was so terrified about what on earth I was going to talk about and the content and all the rest of it. And I thought, right, I'll have this section of the podcast nailed. I can do it and, and it'll fill some time. <laughs> Obviously, I've quickly worked out after that that actually lots of people had lots of great stuff to talk about. So don't take any offense, anyone. However, um, you know, we had the quick fire questions and I thought, right, it's the, the first episode of a new season. Um, now, I don't want to bring them back and sort of rehash old stuff. But it did get get me to thinking, now that we've had uh, a good chunk of the Moores family on, maybe we could come up with some sort of Moores-themed quickfire questions. So what we're going to do, Mitch, is I'm going to ask you an array of quickfire questions. However, your answer must be a member of the Moores cricketing family dynasty. Okay. So, Mitch Moores, are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Right, let's do it. Best cover drive? Tom Moores. Best sweep shot? Curly Moores. Worst cover drive? Tony Moores. Tony Moores thinks the offsides are ruined football. <laughs> Worst sweep shot? Mitch Moores. Biggest spinner of the ball? Steve Moores. Biggest swinger of the ball? Chris Moores. Foremost purveyor of red hot speam? Curly Moores. Biggest hitter? Ooh. Tony Moores. Best fielder? Curly Moores. Biggest arm? This is a contentious one. Ooh. Um, I think best of a bad bunch has got to be Chris Moores. Best keeper? Peter Moores. Got to be close to seeing Pete and Tom. We're getting into the, uh, the, the contentious ones. I did actually think you were going to say Joe, to be honest. Well, um, of course, yeah. Yeah, we're getting into the tricky ones here. So, so we've had best keeper going for Peter, best captain, Pete Moores, best cricketer, Joe Moores on on current trajectory. Right. We'll uh, we'll try and move a little bit away from some of the cricket stuff onto a few more of the fun ones here. I've had a few of these sent in by some likely <laughs> candidates. I'm sure you'll you'll be aware. Um, best dressed, Tom Moores. I, I cannot get on board with that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not having that. Uh, <laughs> finest beard. Pete Moore's. Pete Moore's got a bit of a bit of a silvery goatee going on at the minute. Best drinker. Pete Moore's doesn't get hangovers. Unbelievable. Yeah. Worst drinker. Oh, Mitch Moore's. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's including Leo. That's including Jasper. <laughs> First to the bar. Mitch Moores. Last to the bar. Oh, actually, if we're talking first to the bar in terms of generosity, then I'll then I'll, I'll retract myself from uh, from first to the bar. Tony Moores. Tony Moores for a non-drinker is a very generous round getter. I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, I must push you for for the more difficult answer. Last to the bar. Last to the bar. Um, Curly. <laughs> You've thrown him under the bus. Best best singer. Pete Moores got a voice on him. Seen him do karaoke. Best dancer. Ooh. Jasper Moores. <laughs> last, last man standing at the end of the night. Chris Moores. Hollow legs. Most likely to lose their club tie in rumba. Ooh. Gotta be Mitch Moores. 140 yards to the centre of the green. Who's your money on closest to the pin? Curly Moores. Biggest nose. 
Ooh, that is a tight comp. Um, I think that's probably Chris Moore's. He's got so he's, it's like a it's like a a, a, a sail, a mighty sail. <laughs> no, no guesses as to who sent that one in. I can assure you. Um, longest in the shower. Oh, good lord. Um, me, I love a shower. <laughs> Very, very good, Mitch. Excellent sportsmanship there. Uh, lots of very, very, very good answers. Um, some predictable and some surprised me there, actually, I have to say. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, a couple. Um, but uh, no, good, good, good answers. And uh, yeah, being a good sport. Very good. Now, before we wrap up the podcast, mate, I always like to ask people um, aims for next season. Ooh, to, to to get a bit of cricket in, to, to, to play a bit, it'd be nice. Just, uh, I think most of us are, are just concerned about there being some cricket to play sort of thing. You know, obviously without, uh, without bringing the town down, you know, you're always concerned that something's going to take a turn with the with the pandemic and you we might not be out there. Um, Touchwood will find a way. And obviously we're there hoping, hoping that Josh and Leo turn into just uh, lovely little well-adjusted boys next season and, and let us get out there every Saturday. Um, apologies, Lucy, if you listen to this. And Kat. <laughs> I think put, putting the hard work in now, um, if I can describe what you've just said as such, is, is always a good idea, mate. So, you know, uh, you know, brother to brother there, I, I agree with you for what it's worth. Of course, that's why we're doing a lot of activities just ourselves, aren't we, these, these days on a Saturday miles. We're going for, little, going for little windy walks with the boys. Absolutely. Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any closing remarks before we wrap up the podcast? No, not, not, not apart from just to say welcome back. It's a... Uh, it's an honour to be the first of a new series, and yeah, I look forward to a uh, to a few more people uh, appearing and no doubt uh, answering to the to the accusations that I've, that I've put to them. I, I think there've been a there've been a few sort of accusations levied, but I wouldn't say there've been a great deal of grenades tossed. Um, yeah, other than talking about Froggy's bowling, of course. Well, obviously, yeah, but I mean that's a that's that's a fairly universal opinion, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. Well, mate, as I say, absolute pleasure. Delighted to have you on. Um, and thank you for uh, sort of kicking off season three with a bang. The pleasure. Cheers, Milo. All the best, buddy. Thanks, mate.